um, I, I remember sitting there thinking like, if I'm going to be auditing, you know, businesses, financials for the rest of my life, I'm not going to be satisfied. And not that there's anything wrong with that. That just wasn't going to fulfill me. Look, hell of an intro. I tell you what you info, but I never really been the type of dude to give no info. Welcome to the Walking Girl Show, everyone. It's Ronnie and Courtney on the mic. And as you guys can see, for those individuals that are watching on YouTube, you guys can see we have a special guest. But for those who are still stuck on the Apple, the Spotify, just everywhere where you just listen to the audio, we have a special guest by the name of Reggie Ford, who is an author. Not only is he an author, he was a previous CPA, but now he's helping managing people's money. But we're not going to talk about money today, guys. We're going to talk about something that many people just need to hear. So you're going to want to stick around for that. But not only that, is he an author? His book is called Perseverance Through Severe Dysfunction. So if you guys know about it, heard about it, go ahead and go get that. But he's a huge advocate for taking care of self. As you guys know, everything we talk about on the show is taking care of yourself. How can we help everyone just kind of get into these conversations that should be had, but it's not being had? So we're going to have that for you today. Stay tuned because I'm excited. I hope you guys are all excited. Now, Reggie, did I miss anything? Is there something that you want to throw in there that that introduction just wasn't right where you needed it to be? Uh, I'm, I'm going to say one thing. Uh, I'm still a CPA. It's still part of my my title. I keep up with that designation. But um, yeah, mental health advocate, um, entrepreneur, speaker. Yeah. So let's talk about that, the CPA aspect. So I know that you mentioned you're still in that role. So are you are you just, I guess, still managing or are you more of like the advising aspect? So I'm in, I, I work in advising, uh, in, in advisory world um, for finance and, and personal wealth. But the CPA came in my previous career where it was actually in accounting. So certified mm -hmm. public accounting, I was working in external audit. Um, I kept the license. I don't necessarily need the license for what I do now, but I kept it because I worked hard for it and it, yeah. it, you, you get rid of those things and it's a lot to get them back. And so it's easy for me to keep up with the education. And I it actually, the, the knowledge around tax and accounting helps me in the things that I do, but it's not necessary for the things I do. Gotcha. That's what I think I got my, doing my due diligence. You mentioned uh, in a few videos just previously being a CPA. So I thought you'd let it go entirely, but smart move there. Keep it because again, like, you know, it takes time and money to get those things. Absolutely. Absolutely. A lot of time. Like it's four parts to that test. It it lasts. I mean, for some people years, I, I, I don't want to brag like it was something special I did, but I got it knocked out in the summer, but it was my whole mm. entire summer. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm hanging on to it for now. Is that something you went to school for? Or is it something that you just always wanted to do? I got my master's in accounting after getting an undergrad degree in economics and corporate strategy. And I really didn't intend on having a career in accounting, which is why it was so short lived. Mm. And but the, the master's program that I went to was solely geared toward uh, passing the CPA and getting placed with one of the big four accounting firms, which is what what I did and mm. all my other classmates did. Yeah, you said short lived. What happened? Passion, mm. right? Like my passion changed. So um, I was working for Deloitte, which is one of the big four accounting firms. And it's a great company, young, fast paced, like very, like just high activity going on. And that was what I wanted. I thrived in that. But, um, I, I remember sitting there thinking like, if I'm going to be auditing, you know, businesses, financials for the rest of my life, I'm not going to be satisfied. Mm -hmm. And not that there's anything wrong with that. That just wasn't going to fulfill me. 
And so I got to a place where I was just looking for different opportunities. And I got to a place where I was looking for other opportunities and I got into uh, looking at banking, wealth management, uh, wanted to get back involved in sports somehow, some way. Uh, I played football in college. And so looking at all those different things, I was like, okay, let me make a pivot in what I've been doing. And so that's where the, the wealth management piece came in. Gotcha. Okay. Um, we did skip over a piece. Um, it's We're just going to throw it in right now, right? But Courtney, how are you doing today? Oh, okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I'm here too. Jeez. Ronnie treating you no, like I'm... an afterthought today. No, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I was, no, listen, I've been preparing this intro. I've been like all this. I'm like, oh, okay, you guys just jump right into the conversation. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm just messing with you. I want to hear that. I want to hear that intro. Oh, great. Okay. Now you put yourself on the spot. I put myself on the spot. All right. No. Well, well, now I have multiple questions to answer. So first, I'm going to go with Ronnie first because that's where my brain is putting me. Um, so thanks for asking how I'm doing. I, uh, as I, you know, we like to throw things at each other on the spot, but um, I'm going to rephrase the question um, as I kind of pre-warned you a little bit, but I have been listening to... Um, little brief side note, but I've been listening to a podcast. It's with Isaiah Frizzell. It's the Bird Brain podcast, and I highly recommend. Um, but one thing that he says, it's just him talking by himself. One thing that he says at the beginning of his podcast is just kind of like welcomes whoever's listening and says, how's your heart? Mm-hmm. And one thing that you and I go back and forth about is, how are you? Good. Okay, let's move on, right? So it's like, where's that real substance? So when I heard him say, how's your heart? I was thinking like, you know, if I asked Ronnie, how's your heart? He could very well just be like, good and move on. But it's something that's a lot more like thought provoking. You got to be a little bit more intentional with your answer. So I was like, I'm going to bring this up to Ronnie. I'm going to see, you know, we can ask some better questions and be a little bit more, like you said, a little bit more engaged since you hate when I say good. So, (laughs) so Ronnie, how's your heart today? Well, you can't flip the question back on me. You never answer mine. Okay. It's not a you. No, 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 no. You gotta answer my question, then I answer yours. So, oh, so how am I? We go yeah. back to how am I? Okay, I'm good. Um, how's my? I want to answer how's my heart. I feel like it's so much. Like I said, it's mo- so much more in depth. Um, I mean, my heart is super full today. I guess this kind of goes right into our intro, doesn't it? So my heart is super full today because I am just super excited to have Reggie here, obviously, but. Um, I was just thinking in terms of how to make this segue, I guess, is there are just people that you meet in your life and you don't exactly know like how it happened or what's going on there, but um, you know it's for a reason. And when I was thinking about this, specifically speaking about Reggie, I was like, Ronnie is absolutely one of those people too. Like, it's just kind of funny how it fell into place, but it's so meaningful. And like, you know, for sure they're in your life for a reason. So these two people that I'm talking to right now are for sure those people. And it's just, it makes my heart feel so full. And that's, so that's the answer to the first question. My heart is just so full today and so grateful. Um, So then I guess I'll slide into the second one. But um, I know you talked about, of course, he has this book. Listen, people. (laughs) Listen, Reggie's heard all about it. I do not read books. Okay. I've read, I think I've read by choice one book my entire life. It's not something I'm not something I'm proud of. 
it's not something I'm proud of, but I read one book my entire life and it's because my best friend gave it to me. So I trusted her. Otherwise, this book, look, there's only, you know, a couple things that I've taken from it so far. Like, it's just one of those things you have to, it's incredible. It's incredible. So not only the things that Ronnie mentioned and what you're doing and your titles and all of those things, but just being a human who is just like, you just have a heart of gold and someone who's super inspiring. So that's my intro. Um, And that's what is just really exciting to me to have a guest like that on the show. And of course, I've, you know, felt the same things with a lot of our other guests, just in terms of being inspired and being, there's things that you can learn from them and so on and so forth. But that's my intro. Now you got me a little thrown off. I thought it was going to (laughs) happen at the beginning of the episode. So I had to throw it back together, but there's my my monologue, I guess. (laughs) We have, we have fun here. We have fun. There isn't any real script. We're kind of just really getting to know it. We really want to have those tough conversations, really, and just have conversations in general to spark something within your brain, whoever's listening to this, whoever's watching this, wherever you're listening and watching from. And so to go back to your question, Courtney, because I don't want to deflect. I don't want anybody thinking I'm (laughs) deflecting the question at all. My heart right now, how's my heart? That's the question, right? How's Mm -hmm. my heart? Yeah, how's your heart? My heart is full of joy right now. Um, It's it's another day I get to breathe this fresh air. So that's always a blessing. I always wake up. And that's one of the first things I always show gratitude to is I got another day to breathe. So I'm always, always, always grateful for that aspect. But I would say full of joy today. I'm excited for this interview here today and just speaking to Reggie, picking his brain a little bit more and just kind of having those conversations because I think Reggie's going to spark even some more um, within my own brain and within what, what I'm going through on a daily basis. So I'm extremely excited for that, but I have to do it, Reggie. I hope you're ready for it. <laughs> yeah, I already know. I, I, so how's your heart now? Man, I appreciate this question. I appreciate that intro, Courtney. Uh, it means a lot. Like. I don't take any of those words for granted. Um, and so thank you for that. My heart is it's a it's a it's a mix. It's it's broken in places and it is uh so inspired right now. So I'll I'll leave with the broken piece. Um yesterday found out that a friend of mine is battling stage four cancer that is metastasized throughout his entire body and young, you know, 30, early thirties. And it just is one of those realities of life that, you know, cancer doesn't, you know, shy away from any person, any, well, any race, any gender, any age, anything like that. And so like been hit with that. And so I've been carrying that since yesterday, Um, but inspired and, and hopeful because of, one, this conversation with y'all and being able to, you know, just asking about the heart and being able to let me get that out. That was huge. Like, that's huge in itself. Um, and then uh, I think we're going to have a fantastic conversation. Uh, I, 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 If I was asked this question yesterday prior to getting that news, I would have said the exact same thing. Because I think there, there's in this world, there two truths always exist. At least two truths exist at all times. And so there's the good, there's the bad, and there's something else. And so... Yesterday, before it got getting that news, I was dealing with the results of my neurofeedback brain mapping. And neurofeedback is a, a way of training your brain to improve some of the ways that it functions. And I got the initial map of it back. And it was disheartening to see these areas in my brain that are low activity or high activity, and it shows up in my behavior and my emotions. But then I'm like, oh, 
we got this information, we got awareness around that. Now we can do something about it. So I'm hopeful about that. So I think the same, just some sad stuff, but uh, very hopeful and very excited about this right now. Nice, nice. Um, it's, it's part of life. Uh, and it's just finding a way through it. And, you know, we're always here as a resource. If you want to pick our brains, you want to have a conversation, Definitely. let us know. Don't Absolutely. shy away from us. We don't bite. We don't do anything. We don't scare people away. So uh, we're here. We're here as a resource, not only to you, Reggie, but for anybody else that's listening to this and just needs a person to speak to. So, uh, Courtney, go ahead. Take it away. I know you got a diary question. I feel like that you're waiting to go ahead and shoot away. So which one? <laughs> which one do I start with? No, I um. No, I just want to say, I, this is kind of what I was excited about. Of course, not, you know, not you having hardships and things that you're struggling with, but um, just that vulnerability. Like that is the one thing that inspires me the most about you. And um, that's through the things that I hear on your Instagram with the podcast and the motivational speaking and through the book and all of those things is just that level of vulnerability that you don't see so often um, in just people, people our age, like, you know, you can go through various demographics, but vulnerability is a really hard thing. And it doesn't appear to be something that you struggle with. I know that's easy to say from the outside. But um, so that's kind of what I just wanted to go into a little bit is um, how just I'm going to okay, let me preface, I'm going to go and of course, refer back to the book because I'm reading it. But I don't want to talk so much about the book, because I really truly if everybody in the whole wide world would read this book, I'd be so happy. Um, I feel like it's like I'm selling it like it's it's something that I own. But anyway, um, <laughs> I just feel so strongly about it. But so I don't want to pick pieces apart of it because I really want people to see it themselves. But of course, I'm going to refer back to it. Um, there were just certain times in the book that I noticed. Um, one thing that stuck out to me a lot was you creating friendships and you creating relationships and um not necessarily quickly, but there are certain times where I think in one example, you like left a note for somebody that said, I love you. That was just a friend of yours Mm -hmm. or mentioning, I love you or mentioning the love that you felt for other people. And I'm just the thought that popped into my head was just like, how often do we just do that with Mm -hmm. friends or just like buddies that we have, you know, and just reminding them, like, you are a value to me. You are someone that's special in my life. And I do want you to know that I love you, like things like that. And just that message kind of popping up throughout the book, like, it's, it can be hard to share those emotions and share those feelings with people and be vulnerable. And, and there's those, there's like videos on Instagram and stuff where it's like, I love you, bro. Like you gotta, you gotta follow it up with like bro or man or whatever to soften it up. But just your ability to even communicate something which seems as simple as that. Yeah, definitely. That, that, uh, like the bro part that you just talked about, like, I think, you know, or no homo would be the other Mm -hmm. phrase that goes behind (laughs) that. But I think that is so toxic and, you know, Mm -hmm. so, so homophobic in its approach. Like I, I can say I love you, Ronnie, and I love you, mm-hmm. Courtney, and actually mean that without putting anything on the other side of that. And so, um, yeah, I, I do that often. I actually just texted one of my friends this morning and was like, I love you so much. Like mm-hmm. so much too, I think adds another level of of like, damn, like you took the time <laughs> out to write two more words. That's that's yeah. real. Like, yeah. I don't know. So yeah, Definitely. I do that often. Well, it's just that that like theme of vulnerability and and I think a lot of the way that you phrase things throughout the book is like, how did, where did this come from? And this like empathy and just understanding of your life. And it's just from, from a young age, I'm like the way it's written. And of course you're writing it later on in your life, but the way it's written is like, 
I stood and I thought to myself, what is the best decision? And I'm like, how old is he? <laughs> like, like uh, how, you know, like, how are you understanding to make these decisions? And how are you understanding to lead with empathy and lead with vulnerability and lead with logic or whatever it is in these moments? Like, where did that come from? You know, it hasn't always been, the vulnerability piece has not always been there for me. Like, uh, I was just like, going, going back to my brain scan, one thing that popped out was, uh, this this low activity where it's been this suppression and compartmentalization of emotion for a really long time. And that is that is probably, that was the hallmark of my expression to the world up until 28 years old, like a few years ago when I when I released the book. And um so so that piece is is fairly new, but the introspection and being able to just like observe the world, I think comes from growing up in the trauma that I was faced with and seeing the examples around me, um, you know, being, I, my mom was, was 14 years old when I was born. My dad was, was 18. And, uh, like we grew up in poverty in the hood, like there's gangs, there's, there's violence and all of that. And even internally in home at in my house, domestic violence was there, uh, drug use and all of this other stuff. And so, um, I think part of, a coping mechanism of mine was to not show that emotion, but watch and watch what it took to survive. And, and we could say that in like the true sense of survival, but the emotional sense of survival. Mm -hmm. And um, that, that became a part of it. And so I feel like a lot of my life, like the good things that I've done in life have really been a result of me knowing bad things and trying not to do those. Mm -hmm. Like seeing that example and saying, I don't want that to happen. And so getting at a crossroads and saying, okay, what would someone before me have done? And what did that turn out? All right, let me do something different. Mm -hmm. And just a matter of repeating that over and over and picking right versus wrong more times than not, not to say that I didn't do wrong or I didn't pick the bad the bad decision, uh, but the consistency of doing the right over the wrong more times than not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's that really is what it appeared in the book is like you just made good decisions, and it's yeah. like it's just throughout different ages, and you know from childhood to being a teen to one of the most recent that I read was just choosing understanding that sports was um, becoming more important to you, not more important, but more of the forefront than academics. And you knew you needed to choose academics. I'm like, mm -hmm. how many people did I know <laughs> in college, like college age who are able to be like, this is taking up too much time. I need to focus <laughs> on my academics. Like, come on. So it's just a lot of things that I'm just like, he just knew, like was able to kind of put those pieces together. And yeah, it's just... What well, some of my friends and, and some of the folks where I come from, we'll call it uh, like been here before, right? Like mm -hmm. you got those people with old souls and and people who exactly. just like they're they're too young and they're making decisions that you're like, how do you how are you able to do that? Mm -hmm. And it's like you've been here before. And I I mean, again, I, I, I come back to it because it's so true. But like trauma teaches you. You learn from your trauma and, and it grows you up a lot quicker, especially if you're placed in a situation where you have to become a parent or a guardian earlier than you ought to have been um, or just taking on more responsibility than a child needs to be. Then you start to look at the world as an adult when you're eight, nine, yeah. and and then you that's how you operate. And so, yeah, I think that's been a big part of it all.
So, Reggie, do you think part of you making tough decisions between academic and sports, your mother had anything to do with that at all? Because I know that based off of just what I've looked, what I've saw, your mother was a big advocate for education. Yes. So would you say that she's someone that played a role and just allowed you to? Or was it just like you mentioned, just your life experiences that just you you realize at that moment, I need to focus here rather than over there? Yeah. So going into college, it was I, I didn't even like intend on playing sports. Like I like had these like nagging injuries from high school and I was like, I'm just going to go for school. So that was my focus in going to school. And then missed the game, grieved the loss of the game. And so I'm like, I got to get back into it. And so I started playing and, you know, earned a spot on the team. It was fantastic. And, and getting to play in the SEC, getting to play football in front of so many fans and, and so many great players that we played against and with, it was amazing. But um, I, I still, like, from, the, from what my mom instilled at a young age, academics was the forefront. Academics was going to be my way out regardless of if I could jump in the NBA or, or run up and down the field in the NFL. Like academics was always going to be there for me. And so I think, you know, from those earlier messages of, of you know, focus on your work and like literally it being beaten into me, instilled mm -hmm. into me, um, that was the, I, I, it just had become habitual at that point. Um, but when, you know, in that moment of, you know, probably what, 20 years old, I was making that decision for myself. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of those decisions, like I said, my mom had me at 14. My dad, young, they didn't they didn't graduate from high school. So like from ninth grade on, I was doing all this stuff. Like I was brand new and doing everything that I was doing with little guidance around that. And so to make that decision, it was it was me sitting down. I know I cried after our bowl game a lot. And I was like, I, I had I just it clicked. It was it was the decision I had to make. And so I remember when we got back from Christmas break, I, I went to uh, one of my favorite coaches and I was like, here, here's my decision. I was crying the whole time I was doing that. And I was like, I couldn't even address the team. I was like, I need I need you to just tell them I love them. I, it was another time. Like, I was like, tell the team I love them. Tell the guys I love them. And, uh, and I'm going to talk to some other coaches, but I got to do this for me. <laughs> That's the second time. Probably second, third time you said that you're using the word love. Not there's nothing against it, as Diddy would say, love, love, love. Right? We hear it all the time. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I, I think you're more comfortable with using the word love than many people. Hmm. What makes you so comfortable with just using that word in itself? Man, I ain't never heard that that I that compared to many people. Um, but it's one of my it's one of the guiding principles and, and values that I have in my life because mm. I wouldn't be where I'm at, where I'm at today if it wasn't for the love and support of so many people who didn't necessarily have to love me. Mm. Right. These are, these are not family. It's not blood. These are strangers to my life that came in and ended up loving the hell out of me and still do. And so like, I have these like beads on my arms and I got these after yoga teacher training so i became a certified yoga instructor too that might have been added to the intro. i forgot yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. that's my bad yep, that's certified my bad. yoga instructor <laughs> and i got a couple other things that i carry with me and these just uh, okay. are part of my my values that are, are reminders um but this one was infused with unconditional love and grace because that mm -hmm. was a theme that kept coming up for me throughout uh teacher training and it was unconditional love and grace not just for others, because that's important. And that's something that I've gained throughout my life. 
but unconditional love and grace for myself. Mm. And that's something that I think I had neglected for far too long and starting to just realize that now and really understand what it means to love myself, what it means to give myself grace, because it's, it's, I think it's always easier to, to do that for others than it is for yourself. But looking in the mirror, looking at yourself and saying, man, I love you. Like, I love you. I've, yeah. I've done that experiment or exercise with people where I'll give them a mirror and have them say their name. So like, Reggie, I love you. Mm. And just sit there and look at it for a while. Seven seconds. Ronnie, I love you. Mm. Courtney, I love you. And people break down and cry because some people have never said that to themselves. Yeah, no, I think that's, sorry to cut you off, but like, I think that's why people break down is because it's never being said. Um, Mm -hmm. I can speak on my personal experience. I mean, yes, I had, I grew up in a household full of love, but the word love was rarely used. So mm-hmm. that's why I say, how are you so comfortable with using it? I would, I would assume it was maybe, you know, just something that you experienced that enabled you to, now I got to say it more. I got to embrace it. I got to, I got to let myself understand it more. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. You just reminded <laughs> me of something. Oh man. So, so I'll both. be in, in all transparency, like you, you talked about my mom and, and I actually, our relationship has been very complex throughout the years and I haven't spoken to my mom in four years. She's still around. She's still alive, but we've had, you know, differences in our lives and there's still trauma there. There's still a lot of things there that have uh, prevented our relationship to foster. But when I was young and and this dates back to even when I was younger, just emotional disconnection there. Mm. Um, But when I was younger, my grandparents and they like, if you look at these pictures over my shoulders, if you're watching it, like those are. That was my love. That was my rock. Those are my rocks, my love, my like, that was the unconditional love and nurturing for me all my life. And I remember I was probably like eight, nine years old and I hadn't said love much at all, Mm. but it was one weekend and it just flipped and it started like, I, I, I went to them and right before they were dropping me off, I was like, I love you. And I gave them both a big hug and a kiss. And I was like, probably one of the first times I had ever said that. And then every time I saw them after that, it was, I love you. I had to make sure I said that. And it was something that's like this little kid just was like, start saying, I love you all of a sudden. And it like was a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I think it probably started there. You just reminded me of that, man. I uh, I hadn't even thought about that. That's crazy. We, we call that the walk and grow effect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's dope. Um, so yes you used it at that point so how does would you say like using the word love not for your person because again somebody probably listening is like i don't really use it what do you think it can do to someone if they just begin to start using it um i think it it reshapes how you look at the world and how you look at people and yourself because i mean there is there's enough stuff to be upset about there's enough stuff to hate in the world um but like there is a lot of things to love as well. And so retraining your brain and rewiring the way that you look at things to see the love, to have gratitude for what is, um, that is something that I think is is powerful in reshaping just our lives. So mm-hmm. I can I can be upset about the the rain or I can just love the sound of the rain as it hits the ground. <laughs> I fucking love that. Mm-hmm. Right. And and so like just just a refocus, like and, and not in a toxic positivity type way. I, I, I'm against that too. Like you can 
the people that's just like too damn happy and too damn positive. And you're like, no, it's not like that. Like that's, that's not real. Uh, but to find the good in, in so many things is, is what I think helps lives get better. What I think helps communities get better. Societies get better. Mm-hmm. Love, love, love. That's 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 Diddy's albums be be released by this point. So you guys will know exactly why I keep saying love like that. <laughs> oh man. References. Yeah. 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 I um I mean knew I would appreciate the conversation, but it's funny because well, first I want to just acknowledge that you took it back to self love because of course that is so important. But and. One thing, I was actually going to mention this on Leon's episode because that's what we were talking about as well as just kind of once you get into gratitude, once you get into love, once you get into finding joy and small wins, and which I know is a note that I wrote down from your book. Um, but all these things, like the more you seek those things, the more you find and the more you feel. Mm-hmm. And it just it's one, just like he said, when you start to push that rock up the hill, like you continue to find more. And so it makes sense that you do take it back to self-love and the more you grow in self-love, the more you want to share with others and the more you want others to feel what you start to feel. And, and so you do share that with others and you do share that value and, and things like that. But so yeah, yeah that, that absolutely makes sense just to validate yeah. that. But, yeah. It's like the capacity to love others starts with the capacity to love yourself. Like you yeah. have to have that ability to love yourself before you can share that with the world. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, I believe that wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You can't you can't help yourself unless if you're you, you can't help others before you help yourself. So mm-hmm. that's ultimately what it goes back to. Go ahead, Cornelia. I know I interfered no, with good. what you're about to say. You're good. Um, one thing that I had written down is, um, and I had heard this on another podcast that you were on, but um, is kind of the idea of what success looks like. And the reason that I bring that up now is because this conversation that we're having is why I respect you so much. This conversation that we're having is like why like I'm so inspired by the things that you're doing. And I think what's interesting is like, you know, we can say, and that's why I forgot about yoga and we didn't say best-selling <laughs> author. And no, I just, but you know, we can say all these things and you have won so many awards and you have had all these titles and mm-hmm. been on a whole bunch of podcasts and things like that. But and it, it is important. It's, of course, not to minimize those things. But when I think of, like, what what do, what, do, what am I inspired by when it comes to Reggie? Or what do I appreciate or respect the most about Reggie? It is that love, that vulnerability, that just, like, authenticity and that realness that is coming out right now and, and in this conversation. And that's why I was so excited about this conversation in particular. And it just makes me think about, you know, can it's hard to measure in society. Does that make you successful? You know, like what is, what is the response to that? I don't know if there's an answer to that, but, but in terms of personal relationships and your relationship with yourself, you know, just that idea of what success looks like. Yeah. I guess that wasn't a question, but. I know where you're going with it. (laughs) I know where you're going. Um, So like, I think in, in society we get, told what success looks like and we internalize that and we see that in tv in media in all different forms and it's a lot of money it's the status it's Mm -hmm. you know it may be a a certain type of partner it may be all these different things but i at a young age achieved all that shit Mm -hmm. and i wasn't happy i wasn't fulfilled i wasn't satisfied and so 
that part got me really redefining what success was. And it's different for everybody. My success is going to look different than Ronnie's. It's going to look different from yours, Courtney. And, uh, but I think there's a component of well-being that has to be incorporated in everybody's definition of success or else, like, what are you chasing? And so I always like to think about like, what am I sacrificing for this definition of success, whatever it is. So like if, if my definition of success is all about having a great family, well, what am I sacrificing in order to have a great family? It may be career, it may be play, it may be some other things. Um, okay, where does that lot land on my priority list? So if my priority is 100% family and I'm 100% on family and it's good, I'm successful. But if I have, you know, this 30% toward professional and I'm not fulfilling that, then I'm not being successful. And so I think it starts with knowing what your priorities lie for your life in particular, and then seeing where you stack up with the things that you are accomplishing with the, um, you know, ways that you're living out your life. And so that, that's been huge for me because I think for a long time, it would have been, you know, one at one point it was all academics. It was a hundred, well, I would say it was 50-50 academics in, in football, and then it was 100% academics, and then it was 100% professional, and all these other things were being sacrificed. And that's just not who I wanted my, that's not what I wanted my life to be. And so it wasn't success for me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I know in therapy, I was just talking about this with my clients yesterday, how we like look at ourselves kind of like a pie and mm-hmm. each slice, you need to attend to each slice. You know, yes. you can't be 100% this thing. And and a lot of times when we notice anxiety come up and when we notice frustrations come up and we're not usually able to pinpoint it, it's like, what slice of the pie have you been focusing on and which ones have you neglected? And yeah. that's what it makes me think of. Absolutely. But I wanted to just kind of thank you for saying that because it does a lot in my brain. But, but one thing that I think about when in terms of your healing and your just kind of journey and things like that. And I believe, I think other people, I don't know, people can think what they think, but I don't necessarily think you heal. Like, I don't think people heal. I think right. healing is, you know, a journey. Um, I don't think you can be officially healed from anything just because of triggers and, and all of those types of things. They tend to come back. Um, but sorry, my dog wants to be a part of the podcast again. So he's distracting <laughs> me. Um, but so in terms of healing and things like that, it when I hear a lot of your journey and where you're at now and the whole, you know, love and feeling joy and the vulnerability and being able to even just share the story and inspire others, all these things. I know people who are very close to me in my life who have experienced a lot of trauma, who have experienced a lot of hardship and growing up and they've just never made that choice. To, and I say choice lightly because I do understand the difficulty of it and I do understand staying in the chaos. And I know in your book, you described it as fire. When you don't mm-hmm. know you live in the fire, you stay in the fire. You don't even re- recognize that you're burning mm-hmm. um, until you step out of that fire. Um, but I know people who are in that fire and they haven't looked at what that success looks like. And I think if people, you know, if they were to really look at it and say, you know, this is my priority, but what am I putting all my energy towards? not yeah. my priority. So I just, I appreciate you being able to verbalize that. And, and I look at, I really truly do look at you as a measure of kind of success in that area in terms of coping with that trauma and healing through that trauma. And again, I'm not going to sit here and be like, Reggie's healed. Right. He's, right. he's cracked yeah. the code. Like I don't right. get to, I don't get to speak for you like that, but, but just in terms of your ability to speak on it and your ability to be vulnerable and, and to look back and understand, you know, what, what you did take from it 
rather than yeah. just kind of sitting with that through your life. And I, I want people to be able to do that. I yeah. want people to be able to understand that there is a way out and, and not just out physically location wise or anything like that, but just more so of that fire we can mm-hmm. stick with that metaphor. Like you can step out and there is healing. And I know I mentioned it. I think I mentioned it again on Leon's episode. A lot of themes are happening, but where um, people like to stay in the chaos because it's easier and discomfort is uncomfortable. Absolutely. Um, so there's validity to that, but, but yeah, I just Absolutely. you verbalizing that. Yeah. I think I love what you said. Like healing is a journey. It's a continuous journey for lifetime. And mm-hmm. like some people want to show up healed and that's just not realistic. Mm-hmm. Like you, you're going to continue to heal throughout your life. And that's, that's the beauty. You got to find the beauty in that process mm-hmm. to truly embrace where you were and where you are. Right. Like if I look at where I am today versus yesterday, I'm like, man, damn, like this is I'm not there yet. But if I look at where I am today versus 10 years ago, some of the times that you're reading about in that book, it's like, oh, my gosh, I've made so many strides. Mm -hmm. Um, But you you pointed it out, like the choice of it all. And because of the trauma, it, it, it impacts that decision or that decision making ability or even like that you have that choice. Like our brains get rewired chemically to where like I can I can in my cognitive, you know, prefrontal cortex, like I can say, oh yes, I really need to do this. But then there are other parts of my brain hijacking that and saying, you're not moving. You're not going to do anything. And so I give people grace when they're going through their journey and give myself grace as well, because that's something that takes so much deep rewiring and it's subconscious. Like it's not even stuff that you can put your mind to and say, I'm doing this. And so like, yeah, like people, people like when you think about like one of your family members or friends or whatever, you're like, why do they keep making that bonehead decision? Mm-hmm. It may be just because they have a chemical imbalance, right? And so that's why I think being being an advocate, not only just for like telling these stories and, and allowing people the vulner or, or, or giving you know inspiration to being vulnerable as well, but the forms of healing that can then rewire that. Like we need to know more about that because if somebody thinks that therapy is just laying on a couch and talking to an old white man or old white woman, then I got to tell them about neurofeedback. I got to tell them about uh, music therapy, art therapy. I got to tell them about um, all the different things like psychodrama. Like they need to know about these things because that may be the thing that really shakes that brain and, and rewires them. So, Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Ronnie, I can keep going. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to stop your fire. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. <laughs> um, well, one thing that came up for me kind of in the beginning of what you were saying was um, the ability to like force healing or feel as though like I'm just going to tackle this and then I'm going to be healed. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing in the spirit of vulnerability. Um, that's one thing that I did right away. My I didn't necessarily have a traumatic upbringing. I had a very specific traumatic incident. Um, the first one anyway, that happened in college. And after that, I was like, you know, I got to tackle this. I got to be in charge of it. I have to take control of it. And my instinct was, I've always been kind of always been a therapist. I've always been that person. Um, and I've always enjoyed education. I've always wanted to educate. My undergrad was, I was going to school for teaching. Um, even though, I wanted to do therapy, but I didn't know yet. (laughs) But anyway, um, I didn't know all that yet. So anyway, um, I immediately was like, I need to tell people about this. I need to just share it with people. And I was telling my story specifically to people thinking it would heal me or thinking it would appear as though I was healed. Mm. 
And it was, it was just kind of like this, like, oh, the more I talk about it and the more I express it, it's going to help. It's going to get better. And then I was in, um, I was in the vagina monologues, um, in college. I don't know if anybody knows what that is, is, but, um, (laughs) so I knew I had to say the title. Um, So the Vagina Monologues, it happens all over the world. It is a series of monologues or a collection of monologues that one woman, Eve Ensler, wrote about her experiences as a woman. Hmm. So there's very sad ones. There's traumatic. There's, you know, terrifying ones of things that she's experienced. And there's other things that are very just joyful. Her, Her first sexual experience, her first sexual experience with a woman, her first time she fell in love with a man, like just things that were all various emotions and, and things like that, that women so may is, experience. Is that so, within the school system that you were, or is this in college? just in general? Like this is just public access. Oh, well, no, um, any, you know, production can put it on. And there's very, gotcha. well, that's one thing I love about it is um, my sister did it as well just last year. And I think she, there was like 18 to 20 women who just did it and read, actually, no, they, they did memorize the monologues. When I did it in college, there were 64 women. So it just depends how you choose to do the production as long as you're staying true to the monologue. Um, but anyway, so, so I got involved in the monologues and it was very deep. We all opened up about why we were there. We all opened up about, you know, the experiences that we have had and, um, and reading these monologues that aren't our words, but we connect so deeply to them. And it was like, this is going to help me heal. Like I'm going to rush right into it and, and all of this. And, um, looking back, it was too much. Mm. It was way too much. And it didn't, Mm. not that it didn't help, but just more so that it was overwhelming. And I didn't realize how overwhelming it was for me and how I wasn't truly healing. I was just letting everyone know about me, you know, Mm. and it's just kind of that balance of, and first to just say that it's okay to take time to heal. It's okay to take time to go to therapy, to finally accept it, both of you. Um, it's okay to, you know, I get therapy (laughs) sessions every week. Don't come for me. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Don't do that. Don't Um, do that to me. (laughs) No, but it's okay to take time. It's okay to, you know, get to that point where you're absolutely ready to accept those things. And rather than forcing it, because I think that's a real thing of like experiencing these things in our lives. And it's like, how do I, I need to just conquer this. I need to Mm -hmm. conquer it. There's that side or the other side where it's like, that didn't happen. We're going to just shove it down as far as we possibly can and and never think about it again. So, yeah, I just, that's one thing that comes up for me. And um, just in terms of the, like I said, the healing process. And I want to ask, well, finally make it a question. um, Through this journey of like writing the book, speaking about the book, speaking about your experiences, all these things, what do you feel at this point in your life? What do you feel is the hardest part or the most challenging or the most maybe like, emotionally taxing part of kind of all of it now where you are at this time in your life? It's a great question. Uh, and appreciate you for sharing that so, so vulnerably, because I think there is that misconception that telling the story is like, oh, they're over it. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, like I could be in the thick of it. And this is a, this might be a coping mechanism. This may just be a front, but um, so I appreciate you for sharing that. Um, I think the hardest part for me the most emotionally taxing is the questions that I get about present day mm-hmm. as it relates to certain people or individuals that are mentioned in the book, because not to spoil anything, but like, like when it comes to my immediate family, they're gone. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so to to be asked a question about, you know, what is your relationship like with this person or that person? Like, that's where I'm like, damn, like it hits me right now. This is where it's at. And it is hard. It's difficult. It's, it's one of those things that I, I, I always say, like, I love this person to death and their reasons why our relationship is the way it is, or they may be dead and I can't even like reach out to them. And so that is probably the most emotionally taxing part. Um, talking about the past is something that, um, for me, it was healing. So I'll say that, like, and 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 I I chose to do it in a very public and like open platform where like here's my life in a book for anyone to read, and then here's me getting on all these you know podcasts and shows and different things to talk about it, but. That doesn't have to be your outlet. Like you can choose that one person or, you know, that therapist to talk to and get it out because I think there is healing in that. Like narrative therapy is a thing. That's another one, right? Narrative therapy, being able to tell a story and talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, the the parts where people are asking about present day, because the book ends, right? And there's a, you close the book and you're like, oh, and it, it ends on a, like an uplifting note there are some like cliffhanging relationships. There's some cliffhanging things about my life that are still at that moment or, you know, stuck where they were. And I think that's the the toughest part. And, you know, one thing that like, I love working with therapists, whether it's like a speaking engagement or consulting or doing something like that, because they recognize that there is emotional toll when I do get up and talk and, and I'm so vulnerable and doing it the way that I do. And they incorporate that when they, when we're talking about fees, when they're talking about like, okay, like you're worth this just on your own speaking, but the emotional taxing part of it all is, is there as well. And so like, we're going to compensate you for that because it is hard. It's difficult. And like, so when I, when I do speak, whether it's about the past and things that I've gotten comfortable sharing uh, or things that are difficult, I block off that the rest of that day and the next day, just because I need time to recover from it's it's like a it's like a game it's like a like yeah. a football game or it's like a, a big performance like it it's it's emotionally taxing and draining and so I make sure to spend time to recover I might schedule a massage or something later that day or something like that just to recover That's good. I feel like there's a lot of people who don't realize that. Mm-hmm. And there's like they'll do something that is would be emotionally draining or taxing and then the rest of the day go back to work or go Mm -hmm. you know do whatever it is and be like why am I so stressed why am I so tired I just feel so tired it's like that emotional yeah and yeah that makes sense yeah I've even started scheduling my like therapy sessions on days where I have a light work day or no no work afterwards just because after that I'm like like I gotta kick my feet up and like just chill so I was gonna say that too and like in Previously, when I had done therapy and I was doing EMDR, mm-hmm. they would schedule morning sessions. I'm like, all right, I guess I'm taking the whole day off. Like, there's, <laughs> yeah. there's no way after stuff like that. So. Yeah, shout out to EMDR. So that that's helped that's helped me so much. It's, yeah. If you don't know what that is, it's it's eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. So like you're using like the bilateral eye movement, or you can do some tapping. Uh, but it's it brings out things in your brain that you probably wouldn't even tap be able to tap into normally. And I've been able to get comfortable around a lot of traumatic experiences through EMDR. Yeah. And I think I cut you off, Ronnie. I don't know if you remember what you're going to say. 
Um, I think I was just going to mention, because you mentioned how you got comfortable with sharing your word, sharing your story. How do you get comfortable with doing that? So cause some many individuals may be sitting back like, you know, that's just not my alley. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it is their way of this is how they need to express themselves. So how is it that you were able to find that path of say, all right, this is how I'm going to approach it. And this is why I'm going to do it. Because, of course, there has to be a reason behind true, anything. True, true. I think I've always been, not always, I've been better at sharing on like a one-on-one type of level. So like me sitting down with you and I could, sh- I could share like that. Like I've been able to do that for several years, but uh, to be able to get out and share story to a whole audience of people or a whole just platform of folks um, came from, I think in therapy, learning that like a lot of the reasons I didn't want to talk about shit was because of shame. And and mm. realizing what shame actually was. Like, I don't think I had used that word in in my life. And, and to be told, like, one about going back to self-love. Like, there is, like, this deep level of self-loathing that I have and this huge level of shame that I carry. And so, like, getting in conversation with people and then telling them bits and pieces and seeing that, you know... Your, your parents may not have been, for, you, mom may not have been 14. I had a lot of shame around that for a long time, but uh, there was some emotional immaturity there. So like we can connect on that level. So like finding that we are so similar, we're more similar than we're like dissimilar, mm-hmm. that that started to reduce that shame. And it's like, okay, like we're human and humans have all these different aspects of their lives that are just like, there's some fucked up shit in people's lives. There's some great stuff in people's lives. And so connecting with different people from different walks of life, like a 60 year old white woman who comes from a lot, a lot of wealth uh, to a 13 year old kid in the, in the impoverished inner city. Like we, I can connect with those different people because there's a human experience that we all share. And so that part really made it, easier to start talking because there was less shame and then it it became a matter of just getting comfortable with it and telling it telling a story and realizing like what parts are sharing for the purpose of helping somebody else grow and helping me grow and what parts are just like me oversharing just like Mm -hmm. details in my life like if you had gotten an earlier version of the manuscript it would have been too much of that over detail. And like, you might see some of that toward the end of the book. Cause that was what I was living at the time of writing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's just a matter of like recognizing like this is, this is trauma dumping or, or this is, you know, productive conversation venting that is going to lead to some solution. And, yeah. and that's where I see the work that I'm doing now. It's like, it's helping, it's helping people. Mm-hmm. And even to add on to that, I know that you mentioned, of course, everybody's going through something. And I had to learn this myself because a lot of people tell me it's like no one cares about what you're going, not necessarily what you're going through, but no one's watching you as much as you think. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> Everyone has like 101 things probably going on in the daily life. So it's like as much as you may think, you know, the world is watching you and you're only being watched at that second, at that moment, you're doing something. It's probably right. not. Right. If you if something does go out, it gets watched and then it's moved on to the yep. next. <laughs> and it, and if you're one of those people who like the world is actually watching, like you're viral sensation, you're an influencer, you're doing something and like so turn something into that, like make that a yeah. positive thing. And so, but like yeah, like I wish every single person was thinking about what is Reggie Ford doing right now, what is his life about, because that would lead to more book sales, that would lead to more speaking engagements, that would lead to, but that's just not the case. People aren't thinking about you as much as you think they are. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Or do you have any plans like for your future just of doing more speaking engagements? Absolutely. I I I enjoy like in being in front of a crowd and being able to deliver a message now, which is crazy to think cuz like I used to be the most shy person, anxious person in the world and would not raise my hand to ask to go to the restroom in a class. Like I'm it's like <laughs> I'm gonna wait, I'm gonna hold it to the end of the day. Like like and um, but now it's like, okay, it's empowering to be able to have a voice. Cause that was something I don't think I had all, all, all my life is like, have a voice, know how to use it and speak about it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, um, my speaking career is just taking off, but it is like rapidly taking off. And I had a goal for this year of how many speaking engagements I was going to do. I killed that by like, July, I knocked out the like goal. And so like next year it's like, okay, I want to add even more. And then there's this other component of like the levels of whether it's the audience size or the fee that I get from it or uh, just the impact that I have. And I think that that's important. Mm -hmm. I had some reflections on previous conversation. Um, no, I just wanted to take it back a little bit because you're talking about like shame and, um, I mean, it's all vulnerability. Um, and I know I connected again, Leon's episode to, uh, Brene Brown and, mm-hmm. um, her talks on, cause she's the one that initially connected the shame and vulnerability. Um, she's big on that. So, um, but one thing I just wanted to mention again, this is from like a therapeutic standpoint, just another way to see it is we don't always connect to people's experiences, but we can always connect to how they feel. So, for example, that's one thing that it was like one of my first classes in grad school, first classes, first semesters. And one of the questions was kind of like, so the professor was um, a woman who worked with specifically her populations were parents who had lost children. That's specifically who (laughs) she worked with. And it's just kind of like, so if I were to run into a client like that, I've never had kids. Like, how am I supposed to, you know what I mean? How do we work with people who have had such different upbringings and experiences? And what she said was everyone has the worst thing that's ever happened to them. Mm-hmm. How did you feel when that happened to you? Now we can connect. Mm. And it's just that feeling of loss. Everyone knows what loss feels like. Everyone knows what grief feels like. Everyone knows yeah. what trauma, you know, some level of trauma, hurt, pain, all of those things the same way with joy, the same way with, and that's why we can empathize. And that's why we can celebrate with people is because we all experience joy. We all experience mm. happiness. Mm. So we may not be able to connect. And the same thing with, as I'm reading this book, we are very different people. We come from very different backgrounds and, and everything and upbringings and all of that. But I connect so deeply because of just emotions and, and the empathy and things like that. So I think that's, that's super important. And then um, another thing that I just wanted to mention in terms of shame was how I think you do such a good job in the book of talking about how even just small examples of how the school system, the, I mean, we don't need to necessarily get into the United States as a whole, but the justice system and all, all of those <laughs> we things. Know. Yeah, we know. no, I'm aware. But, know. <laughs> but just how, like all of these systems, like are, of course you're going to feel shame. Of course you're going to feel all of those things and, and not want to talk about it, not want to open up about it. Um, because of those, I just, one thing that stuck out to me in the book, for example, was when you had written a story about, um, it was like a basketball game and they went to the championships and came home and told their mom about it. And the teacher was like, well, wouldn't mom be there mm-hmm. if it was a championships? And you were like, no. Yeah. And it was just those systems of like, we do, or you had mentioned like the father son 
breakfast or whatever. And it's like, there's these systems in place. There's these events in place that are just so like, you just assume everyone has the same life. You just assume everyone has the same opportunities. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what can we do to like, of course you're instilling shame in these kids. Yeah. You're instilling this embarrassment or this being ostracized by their peers because you're setting up systems where people are unequal. And so I just, I think you did a really good job of communicating those things, but, but of course you felt that way, you know, yeah. of course there are going to be kids who feel that way because of these systems that are in place. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and what you said earlier about like, er- I loved how, how it was phrased. Um, everybody, what was it? Everybody has their worst experience. Experience. Or- yeah, yeah. The worst, something that was the worst thing in their lives. Yeah, and and I I I I talk about that in a different way of like uh, we all have this like reference point, this like very the, the our, our our bottom, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever our bottom is, and so for like a three year old, that may be spilling their ice cream on the ground, and what do you see? You see a temper tantrum. You see them like kicking and fighting. If I'm 38 years old or 30, I'm 32 years old. If I'm 32 years old and I spill some ice cream and I have a temper tantrum, like there's something up, right? Either there has not been that much bad stuff that's happened in my life, or I just don't know how to process that emotion or or something. But like, no, that ice cream is not going to affect me the same way because I know what it's like to lose somebody. I know what it's like to fear for my life. I know what it's like to, you know, do something that is, you know, experience something that is so far beneath ice cream. And so that, I love how that's phrased. That's beautiful. And so, Courtney, you posed a really good question. I really want to kind of go back to, which is, so what do we do? <laughs> we just- With systems? Well, no, I mean, the systems are there. They're already there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're playing our part by just having these conversations yeah. and hoping that it can um, get out to the, the masses that need to hear it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we can't control the what the, the big beasts yeah. are doing. Let yeah. them do what they got to do. We'll go ahead and put our small imprint into the ground to allow us to do what we have to do. But it's more or less just, Reggie, it sounds like you're, you're founding, you found your way through navigating through trauma. Um, Courtney, I won't speak for you for myself. I, I, I find myself on a day to day just navigating through it. And I do it through having other conversations with people, which is why this platform, what we have here, it helps me tremendously. That's why I say I go to therapy every week. <laughs> I kid you not. Yeah. It's real. Um, by just having these conversations with people help me through a lot. But it's more or less for that individual that is trying to navigate it. Again, if we're all trying to advocate for it, you know, just help yourself be self aware. How is it that people can do that a little bit more with, I guess, an action action item behind it? That's a good question. Cool. I think, um, yeah, um, one thing I'll say is like talking to people, like having conversations is extremely healthy. And I consider that therapy as well. Um, but talking to regular people who don't have clinical training to say like, oh, that is shame coming up when you do that mm-hmm. or like how do you feel about yourself? Like that was something like, again, I was 27, 28 years old before the first time I realized I didn't like myself. Right. Mm. I could talk to people all day long, but they would have never identified that in me. And Oh, some crazy. Like, so like this other, the other day I was talking to my therapist about like me and my situation with somebody else. And I was like, I love the crap out of them, but the parts of them that I don't like are the ones that remind me of me. Mm. And she's like, what does that mean about how you see you? And I was just like, oh, shit. Damn. You just opened up another can of worms. <laughs> so the parts I don't like about people are the parts that are just like me. And I was like, I don't like me. Right? And so like hearing that, like my friend wouldn't have been able to tell me that. My friend would have not yeah. said, had, had that insight. And so, uh, but I think, I, I do think it is important to have people in your life that you can turn to. But 
uh, action plan. I think, I think, like you said, self-awareness is key. So taking the time to just presence yourself and presencing yourself is like, like I, I we can call it meditation. We can call it mindfulness or whatever it is, but like sitting down and like one sensing where you are in your body, how you feel in your body. Where do, what does your feet feel like right now against the ground? What are your, like right now I'm going through it myself, my thighs against this chair my back against the back of this, right? What does that just feel like in my physical body? And then emotionally, what do I feel? I feel some tightness in my chest right now. Mm -hmm. Let me explore that. I don't know where it's coming from, but it's tight. Maybe it's talking to you guys. Maybe it's this big ass light in front of me. I don't know. Um, (laughs) But there's tightness there. So let me get curious about that. And so like the more curious you get about how you feel physically and emotionally, like those things are connected, like the mind, the body, it's all connected. Um, and then you can start to sense what that looks like in certain situations in your life. So if I'm walking and there's this black car pulling up behind me and I get this like hot feeling on my neck and and like, what does that mean? Right. So that's telling me a story. Or if somebody steps on my shoes and it makes me want to do something like all these things tell a story and your body's going to be the first thing that talks to you. It's going to like, you're either going to start sweating. Your hands are going to do something. Your stomach's going to hurt. Like something is going to happen in your body which is a signal of some emotional distress. And so the more aware you can come or become of that, the better you are at reacting or responding rather to those things. Mm. And I think it starts with mindfulness and just being aware of you and where you are physically and emotionally. Sounds like Reggie. Um, That's a plug for yoga. Accept- <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, sounds like Reggie, you had you either had someone, you either stepped on someone's shoe or someone stepped on your shoe. <laughs> because I kid you not, I've I I just laughed when you said that because I know exactly what you are talking. Yeah, about. like I, I bring that up because that's that's an example I use a lot when I go into schools and I'm either talking to teachers or students, and it's like, why does that? create the response that it gets out of people it's a fucking shoe right like they walk on the ground on dirt they walk on the ground so somebody steps on like man and so like like why does that bring out so much emotion well what does that represent it represents uh well for some people it's status right the shoe that i have on my foot is 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 the only thing i can say is that makes me feel proud Right. And so like when you do that, you're stepping on my pride or you're and so like, okay, how can I find pride in just being? I'm good without these shoes. Like you put some leather on the bottom of my feet and I'm straight. And so like it could be like Kanye, walk barefoot. Walk barefoot. Hell yeah. Like we can't get into many stores here, but like you can do it. Like <laughs> but like so like understanding like where it's coming from and then like why does that emotion come out of it? And then the last step is like, now let's find different strategies. Like don't punch, Mm. like say something, don't punch, walk away. Don't punch, ask for a clarifying question. Like, like, and so if we can get away from violence and punishment, like that's a lot of what, you know, we got wars and we got like the criminal justice system. It's all like punish, punish, punish. Like we've even used terms today, right? Conquer, when you conquer those things, or I said it and I'm like bringing it up because I said it and want to walk it back. But I said, like, I killed my goal for this year. Like, why are we killing and conquering shit? Like, mm-hmm. we're just, we're talking about mental health. Mm-hmm. And so when you can get better strategies around the the reactions that you have emotionally and physically, that's when you start to see, like, actual healed responses versus emotional reactions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And would you say those emotional reactions just come from, I'm assuming, just the trauma that you go through on a daily basis? Like where? I think, I think, so the trauma plus the example. So we, we mimic what we, what is modeled to us. As children, we see adults behaving a certain way. And so if they get frustrated with us, what do they do? Oh my God, Reggie, why did da 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 da? So now when I get upset, oh my God, why da 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 da? Or if I see someone hit someone, okay, I'm mimicking that behavior now. And so the emotions are going to be there. We're human. We all have emotion. Like for someone like me with my low theta in the back of my brain, like my emotions have been suppressed and internalized and compartmentalized, but they're still there. And so the emotion is going to be there. It's just about like, what have I seen as an example of how to deal with that emotion? And that's where we got to start reprogramming. That's, that is exactly what you just said that's where the reprogramming i think becomes extremely difficult mm-hmm. because it's not something that is going to happen overnight mm-hmm. in fact you got to get people to see and understand what you're trying to even say for them to be like okay let me implement it mm-hmm. i mean it's a whole real like big old circle that i i would say reprogramming is literally the first step and that i mean that that takes decades in my opinion it takes depending on who you yeah, are. yeah yeah depending on who you are right because because some people's like neuroplasticity is like the brain's ability to change and we all have that so i believe that wholeheartedly like no one is you know whether you think someone has narcissistic personality disorder if they actually have it like their brains were created that they, like their trauma or their genetics sometimes form that but it can be changed and so, like, no matter how deep or how dark you you get in your ways, like, it can be changed. And I think that, you know, it takes it takes work and it takes time and it takes the receptiveness to actually start to do that. But I think it can be done. Yeah, I, I don't I know you got something to say, but I want to point this because I would just want to give an example for those that are listening. When Reggie is mentioning all it takes is for you to commit to something to change. Um, I believe you hit your year mark couple of days ago mm-hmm. of not taking a drink of alcohol yes and you did that yes. cold turkey yeah. you just said all right i'm out i'm done i'm not doing this no more like Fact. something like that again we talked about it before don't be a january 1st person don't no. be a september 15th don't be a <laughs> october 1st don't 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 yeah. do that just make the make the decision mm-hmm. and commit yeah and 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 do it like like for real like so I, it was it was august 30th and it was just like a random day, like August 29th, I think. It was a random day, and I was done drinking, and I was just like, all right, I'm done with this. Uh, I could have easily said I was going to wait to the first of that next month or the first of the year, but like, yeah. what signals are you telling yourself? Like, for me, it was a matter of respecting and loving myself and my health. And so, like, if I'm waiting, it's like, I don't truly respect it, right? <laughs> I don't truly respect yeah. it. And it, and and I think in that, like I, I I was able to go a full year without any you know um, you know mistakes or anything like that. But like if you do, that's human and that's part of it. Like learn from it and get right back on it. Don't wait till January first of the next year. Like okay, I messed up on Tuesday. I'm coming right back hard on Wednesday with this knowledge mm-hmm. that I gained from that mistake that I just made. So just like Arr. keep going. Yeah, that dog, <laughs> that dog, <laughs> put that dog. In. <laughs> <laughs> like um, what's what's oh, what's the coach for Colorado's name? Deion oh Sanders, Prime. Deion coach Sanders, Prime. yeah, yeah, Prime. I can't believe I forgot it. My bad, Prime. <laughs> like you would say, there's there's dogs and there's leaders. Which one are you going to be? Hey, I need Ronnie to walk around with me, and every time I get excited, he just go <laughs> like. <laughs> Rest in peace to DMX, by the way. Hey, oh yes, R.I.P. Oh, R.I.P. 
Man. Go ahead, Courtney. Go ahead, so Courtney. Funny. I know you. No. <laughs> continue you guys no you're fine she's being entertained right now <laughs> yeah i'll take it i'll take it that's fine um i knew you guys would hit it off this is cool um no i just wanted to say the uh the strategy that you were talking about before with connecting to your body i just want to point it out in terms of action items that's called a body scan so anyone can look up how to do a body scan and there's different ways of doing body scans so if you're interested in what he was saying um you communicated it to make it sound like it's so easy to connect to your body. Um, and it, I just want to put it out there that it's not, it, it really does take a lot of practice. And like you mentioned that mindfulness, that meditation, whatever it is, yoga practice, there's lots of practice that can be done, um, to connect to your body. And that's, that's what happens is we don't, there's, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people who don't feel that, um, for a number of reasons, like you mentioned, but we, you just don't have that connection to your body. So it's like, if I don't have that connection, how do I stop myself? And how do I respond appropriately when Mm -hmm. I don't have that? And, and we just learn, you just, you yeah. know, practice through that mindfulness and, and go from there. Um, this is, I have two things that I've been waiting to try to fit into the conversation. And I think this is a good point. Um, so I'd mentioned this to Ronnie. Um, Ronnie did an episode without me and with um, Dimitri. Oh, Dimitri. <laughs> and, what? How are you going to put me on the spot like that? <laughs> no, I just like to give him shit. Um, so Ronnie and Dimitri had a conversation and um, I listened to it back and one thing that he mentioned stuck out to me and I was like, wow, like that's, that's really, really powerful. And by that point I had already known that we were going to have a conversation. And I was like, I think Reggie can absolutely speak on this. Mm-hmm. And what the quote that he said was, um, I don't exactly remember the situation that he was discussing, but he said, I was in fight or flight. And I think a lot of young black men in America knows what that feels like. And it wasn't really discussed. Um, It wasn't really like touched on at that time, I think just because of the context of the conversation, but just that statement, I was like, wow, like Mm. that, that is so powerful. Mm. And I just kind of wanted to know if you had any reflection on that. I know you talked a lot about fight or flight um, in the book and and podcasts and things like that, but. Yeah. Um, Damn, that's real. So I, I'm going to start with a scientific like address addressing it first scientifically like fight or flight is when your body goes into a sympathetic state and that is like the very primitive like survival mode of it all and so like if you're dysregulated emotionally like the fight fight and there's more right there's more to it now fight flight freeze or fawn and freeze is like where you just like i can't move like possum right mm-hmm. and then the fawn is where like you you try to like love on and swoon the person or the thing that is threatening you and so mm-hmm. those are the reactions when we are being dysregulated and it just comes from like this evolutionary thing that we've learned to survive and so yeah like i i absolutely like that's something i think for me personally has been heightened my entire life my my sympathetic nervous system and being in that fight or flight uh phase for far too long and that is the health damaging part to mm-hmm. trauma and not having not getting out of the flat fire to go back to our earlier uh metaphor like if you're always in the fire like you're always like like fight or flight is like living out here and it's just like Ugh. and it's it's like you stepped on my shoes Ugh. i'm out here i'm this big bear you see it in the gym like you walk around the gym it's all sympathetic nervous system on fire like everybody's out there like that and like it's so different than like being able to just like calm down like i i've even noticed in my body my body has changed and morphed um throughout the years where like i look at old pictures of me and i'm it's out here 
and that's that's me in that sympathetic nervous state of of just like I'm on guard. Um, I'm ready for whatever's going to pop off. Uh, and that's, you know, a result of a lot of my trauma of not knowing, not, not feeling safe in any of my environments, whether it be physical safety of like, we're at the club or we're at a party and somebody's about to get shot, somebody shoot, or I'm in a emotionally unsafe place where I am the only black person in the room and things are being said that are harmful to me emotionally, which then could turn to physical uh, harm. And so like being in unsafe environments, you you have that again, cause it's for survival. And I, yeah, I, I that's one of the things where like, when, when I, I went to Jamaica a couple years ago and I noticed just like instantly, like my blood pressure like dropped my, my, I was in this parasympathetic state, which is the, the place where you're calm and submissive and like, like, yes. And being in that space was, um, so much more healthy for me and, and a lot of people long-term, like you need some sympathetic, that's going to be, mm-hmm. you know, that stress and drive that gets you out of bed and do some things, but like, you also need that chill and that calm. And, and, uh, but coming back to Nashville, being on the, uh, getting in the airport and it's like, oh, right. It was like, I gotta, I got like, everything just tightened up again. Cause like Jamaica, all black, all chill. They're, they're drinking, they're dancing. It's like a good time. And then getting back to Nashville, it's like predominantly white. And I have a lot of trauma around my race being here. And it's like, ah, it's just like tightened back up. And so like, I literally noticed like that felt less healthy for me coming back. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, that's super important. What you mentioned in terms of just the body reacting and that would be my like call to action for anybody listening is like, notice where you are there times in your life where it's like, oh, I just, oh, I just started feeling really weird. Or I noticed for a while, there's a lot to this, but I would show up to practice. And as soon as I parked in the parking lot, I'm like, oh my gosh, mm. I just got so anxious. And it's mm-hmm. like, what is that? What is that related to? And um, I know exactly what it is, but I'm not going to say it. My teammates know what it is too. I'll tell you guys later. <laughs> but um, just like, are there certain people I know? So what you mentioned, I know just like going back to my hometown kind of has that feeling and it's nothing, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just, I've grown out of it so much that going back, I'm just like, like, it's just Mm -hmm. this ick. And Mm -hmm. I I love my family dearly and I love seeing my family there, but it's just this like, like it's so not me anymore (laughs) that you just notice this within your body. So that would be the challenge is like where locations around who are there activities that you're doing that bring this to your body and, and notice that and, process why is that coming out for you why Absolutely. is that happening for you because it's very likely that you were in that system so the language that we use is the hot system versus the cool system mm. why does that put you in your hot system and that's what these kids probably don't notice i know they don't notice is they're in their hot system so when someone does step on their shoe when someone does you know say something i had a kid um, it's time to turn up <laughs> one kid it was they were playing football they were on their on the same team and he just said one yo mama comment knocked him out yeah it was just like is there anything you could have done differently <laughs> you know like you just you live in that hot system and what yeah. is it about this environment that you're just in that hot system and you can't think clearly mm-hmm. and how do we get you out of that hot system and i really truly want this conversation just in terms of the um hot system, cool system, fight or flight, all of those things to be a whole episode. Cause I think it is so, so important for people to understand. Um, but I wanted to bring that up because I think it's just yeah. such a cool quote that Dimitri mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, 
to bring you, up. But. You brought up something that I, I'm going to see if it shows up on the screen, but like this is a, a like mapping of, of different emotions and where it's felt in the body. And so like, like look this up, just like where emotions are felt in the body. And so some of them like hot red, like the one in the middle, that's happiness. Like, like you feel so much happiness throughout your entire body. Whereas the one that's blue at the bottom, that's depression right? The lack of feeling things. And so like these, it goes, goes through all types of emotions, but you know, sometimes trauma has, it makes this disconnect between the, the feeling in the, and in, in like knowing where it's at in the body. And so like some people are like, I don't know where I feel it in the body, but if you can look at a map like that and say, okay, this is where I'm supposed to feel it. Do I feel it? Where do I feel it? And so like, especially if your trauma is body related, like whether it be a sexual trauma or mm -hmm. some physical abuse, right? That may make it more difficult for you to actually connect and feel your body. But seeing something like that and then trying to pick which one you actually feel in that moment, and it may not be right, but the practice of like, oh, this is where I feel. I did feel that in my stomach. Like that may help. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. I got one more thing, Ronnie. Is it still my turn? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. So the last thing, and this is something that I didn't save it for last, but I knew it. Honestly, I knew it would be a little bit difficult for me to communicate. So here we go. Um, but I, and I'm kind of glad you brought up that um, the physical violence, you know, like sexual abuse, things like that. And um, I know you mentioned before one of the feelings of, am I oversharing? Am I trauma dumping? Is this important to add? do I want to talk about this? You know, like which parts do we talk about? And I know we haven't talked about it too much, so I, I don't mean to bring it up if it's not always those spaces where you want to. But um, one thing that I was just, again, very, very impressed with in the book was your ability to discuss sexual abuse, domestic violence as a observer, as a survivor, and as a perpetrator. And I just want to say um, again, just in the spirit of vulnerability, um, as a survivor of all of the above and under that umbrella, the fact that you have been able to speak about it, been able to recognize what it was, where it came from, why it happened, and the fact that it was wrong, and how you speak about it now um, in terms of like working through it and, and your feelings, I just want you to know um, that it is so healing for me as a survivor to see that there are people out there who have offended. I'm not going to call you an offender by any means because I know your heart. Um, but people who have offended and how healing it is to see that there is that realization. And for me, the most, and I, I know it's one of those things where it's like nothing other people can do can heal me, right? It has to be within myself. But, but I know that that's really all I could want is for my perpetrators or offenders or whatever to understand that, all I want them to do is understand that it was wrong, right? Mm -hmm. that's, that's really all I could ask for, but I will never have that because I don't communicate with them. Mm -hmm. So just to, and again, this isn't for me. It's not that your story is for me, but I just want you to know how healing it is to see that and to see that it's possible and to see that those are things that you've worked through. And, mm -hmm. and just really just to bring up the ability to speak on it. And, and that was like chapter one. You brought it up. And I was literally, I remember oh, I was in public. I remember I was in public reading it. I carry this thing with me everywhere. I was <laughs> literally waiting in a line somewhere and I just had it open. And I'm like, kind of like, I hold it like this. So I hope people like see the cover and like, all right. <laughs> <That's what's up. laughs> but I'm like standing in line, like reading it. And I was literally like, 
like no shit so yeah. i'm like this is and i'm like this is the first chapter like did i skip like this is the first chapter he's going into this so just right away i was like this is incredible like just your like i said i know i said it a million times but the vulnerability and the ability to speak on it especially as a man i understand like the difficulty of that and the um you know stigma and all of those things but but it really truly is healing and i hope that other people can find that as well um because mm-hmm. i i don't think it's talked about and mm-hmm. I know we've covered so many different social issues, but um, my, you know, my graduate degree was specifically for sexual abuse and domestic violence. So, of course, I'm going to cling to that a little bit. Um, But it's just it's incredible how many things that you're able to cover and how many things that you're able to um, just touch on. And and like I said, connect to people with. So I just that's a personal thank you. And that's just a personal connection. Um, But, yeah, I don't know. Thank thank you. uh, Thank you for expressing that and for the grace uh i I always you know when 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 i when i talk about uh some of those things especially on the side where i was the perpetrator like it's it's it it heals me to know that there is grace uh from people who have been on the receiving end of of some of the things that i have done that have harmed other people and um you know i think like so like when i think back like because i'm i'm comfortable talking about it but like with the sexual trauma, uh, you know, witnessed and experienced, it was normalized because it, it was actually glorified to be a, a a boy getting sexually, you know, it, it didn't seem, it, I, I call it abuse now, but I wouldn't have called it abuse in the past. And many men probably wouldn't by a woman, right? If a woman is doing something to you or an older girl, whatever it may be, like, we don't usually look at that because there's this like macho man. Oh, you got that. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, but no, like I was a child and I was, I was a developing child that didn't know better. And so that was, that was a piece that I feel like there's so much shame attached to it. If, if it's a man, like if you're a boy and it, ha- and, and it happens by a man, then like there's a lot of shame around that. If it's a woman that does it, then it's like this weird sense of pride because of our society. But like underneath it all is some shame there. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, being able to to say that and to be able like to to let people know like men do go through that as well, mm-hmm. and and far more often than than they ever admit. And so, Absolutely. like any studies that you see and any things that you see, like like no, it's not gonna have the accurate number because mm-hmm. so much shame is there. But um, so like that's on the sexual side, but then on the on the domestic violence side and the physical abuse side, like it's shame around knowing that my mom was physically abused, that knowing that my dad was an abuser and and other men in in my life were abusing uh the women and some of the women were abusing men. Uh but then the most shame came from when I, you know, tried to get or, or when when my emotions and need for attachment and control got to a level to where I became that abuser, going back to what we were talking about, like mimicking what we what we're modeled. I grew up thinking, all right, when when things turn out this way, this is what you do to a woman, mm-hmm. and that's just not appropriate. That's not right. And so having healthier examples uh, and me sharing my story is going to prevent somebody from doing that, right? And that's why I am so vulnerable and open about that because um, if if I had had a better example, then that probably wouldn't have happened. I probably wouldn't have caused somebody else some trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I just think bringing it up again in the book, bringing up the way that you've been able to talk about it in various mediums. Um, uh, I just, I really do think it's going to be super helpful. And like I said, I, it, it helped me just being able to have the conversation and 
being able to talk about it. I, I like bringing these topics up again, especially for men. I want it to be able to be a, a spot where it's like, oh, they're, they're talking about it. They're saying I love you like a bunch of times on this podcast. <laughs> you know, like what's up with that? So just things like that, like hearing these things, it's kind of like, oh, okay, I guess, you know, people are talking about it. But, um, but yeah, I hit all my points, guys. Definitely. Hey, let's go. There you go. Let's go. <laughs> and you probably thought you weren't going to get to it. Look at that. <laughs> bada bing, bada boom. But no, as we go ahead and begin wrapping up, I want to kind of speak a little bit more to Reggie and just see more or less where is it that the people can find your book? You know, how is it that they can book you for speaking engagements? Um, maybe if they want to talk a little bit about the, you know, moolah, then, you know, where can they find you? How could they get in touch with you and moving forward so that um, they can? do what they got to do. Absolutely. So my website, reggied4.com has literally all that information uh, there. A lot of videos, a lot of testimonials and things like that, that you can learn more about me. Um, and then social media is reggied Ford on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, I just got rid of TikTok because I can't stand that app. Um, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Link, yeah, LinkedIn, Reggie D. Ford as well, and so uh, and Twitter. And so just like Reggie D. Ford, search it. Um, if you want to get the book, Amazon. If you want to go that route, you'll get it real quick. Uh, um, local bookstores. If they don't have it at your local bookstore, you can request it. They'll order it, and it'll be there. So, uh, yeah, Perseverance Through Severe Dysfunction. Check that out. And I'll be coming to a city near you sometime soon. Hey, hey, look at that. Um, so now you guys have the information of where to go. As you guys can see, this this podcast this show is really based on helping you kind of expand your horizons just a little bit. Because as my OG will say, it takes it costs you nothing to think. It costs you nothing to sit with yourself to really understand who you are as an individual. So until next time, keep on applying those perspectives, education, growth, and collaboration, y'all. <laughs>
It's so funny, man. Yeah, I didn't fuck up that time, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I listened to I listened to an oh I listened to Leon's episode. Mine was long, I feel like. Sorry, hold on. <laughs> Bloopers. Hair in my mouth. Save, there, save, save it for the blooper reel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could do that. We gotta. We gotta have fun. We're ridiculous. We have fun. That's all. But anyways.